This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everybody, Elon here. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters like us, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience acceptance into the program is limited so get your application in today to apply go to bwhustle.com slash join check out the description box for this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com slash join Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, 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 hoj här kommer Carlson, 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 ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carl's Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are hoping to start this show and then not have to take a break midway through and finish at midnight. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski. With me, as always, the Poobah Prognostication, the Fantasy Hockey Robot, the IPP MVP, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. You know, I stayed up till midnight last night, Eastern time, to watch the second period of Vegas, Colorado, and just as it was starting... I fell asleep. I admit it. Like, I thought the the prospect of getting to watch a hockey game outdoors at midnight was just so tantalizing and exciting. And then, like, I saw the shadows and it was cool. And then that was it for me. But I am wide awake now and ready to go. Let's finish before midnight. And now it's sitting here. Okay, no, we got a big show. I don't have time for this, Brian. We've got so much to get to today. We've had a busy, packed week of NHL action. Before we get to it, of course, let's take a quick second to thank our friends over at DauberHockey.com for supporting this show. Dauber Hockey is your premium source for fantasy hockey content. We, uh, like, use that site all the time. Like, to prep the show, I'm at Frozen Tools. I'm at Frozen Tools, like, basically my whole life is at Frozen Tools, looking at the line combinations, and the player profiles and everything. Plus, you've got the great articles. It's the best. DauberHockey.com. You're not going to be doing well in fantasy hockey unless you're frequenting 
presenting that website. But okay, Brian, I want to get started. I know like this is like the type of podcast where we try to like go deep and talk about players who might be available in free agency or you may be able to trade for or like some maybe players that were drafted high and aren't doing well. We're going to get to all of that, but I want to just start giving some kudos to some players that are awesome and everyone knows it. So not exactly breaking news, but I want to start in Toronto where Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner have been tearing up the North Division and we haven't given them like any due yet on the podcast and I think it's time. Matthews had two goals and two assists on Saturday in the 5-3 win over the Habs, which brought him to 18 goals in 18 games. And along with his assists, that's 29 points in 18 games for Austin Matthews. And you know what? That 29 points, not even enough to lead the team in points. Mitch Marner had a goal and two assists on Saturday, and that brought him to 30 points in 19 games on the season. Marner is now tied with Leon Dreisaitl for second in the Art Ross race behind McDavid, who we'll get to in a second, because he also definitely deserves some kudos. Uh, Matthews running away with the Rocket Richard title at this point. 18 goals for him. That's well ahead of McDavid and Besser, who are currently tied in second place with 12. Uh, Toffoli, by the way, in third place with 11 goals on the year. I don't think people were expecting Besser and Toffoli to be in this race, but here they are. But it's not really even a race because Matthews is the Usain Bolt just like far and away ahead of the competition. Sadly, Alex Ovechkin going into today only had five goals in 12 games. I think he scored again today, but I think he's, this might be one of those years where Ovi doesn't win the Rocket Richard, which is kind of sad, but great news for Austin Matthews. Uh, And while, of course, yeah, I'll give you the opportunity as well to gush over Matthews and Marner. There's probably not a, much advice we can give, so let's also repeat what the short shifts guys have been saying over the past week, specifically on Tuesday, which is that you definitely want to get your hands on Joe Thornton, right? Because he's the one riding shotgun with both of these guys on both the top line and top power play. Thornton returned from his injury four games ago and has pointed in all four of those games, two goals and five assists in that span. Unbelievable. 42-year-old Joe Thornton. So yeah, sure, he doesn't provide any peripherals, but how can you not want Thornton, who I can't see any reason why he can't put up like a 65, 70-point pace moving forward as long as he's getting this deployment with 200-plus point guys. Yeah, let's talk about Thornton. But first, I will take this opportunity to to do the appropriate gushing over Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. And what they're doing this season is incredible. Marner is third in points per 60 at 5-on-5. Matthews is sixth in points per 60 at 5-on-5. In goals per 60, Matthews is a top five player. And also, if I included their power play numbers too, uh, they would still be where they are and potentially even higher. They are crushing it in every way possible. But you know, Elon, what I do. I look at how great a player is doing. I'm saying, yeah, but, but what can't I trust about this? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it here and everybody can scream at me from uh, the comfort of their devices or homes or wherever. Brian's getting out the uh, cold water bucket. It's going to be like a lukewarm bucket of water though. Here's, here's what I've got for you. So Austin Matthews, he and his line mates, and I tweeted this out earlier today. I keep in Carlson, by the way. You would have gotten a sneak peek of the show. But Matthews and his line mates are converting at five on five on over 16% of their shots. Compare that with 9% over the last couple of years for Matthews. And that 16% plus on ice shooting percentage gives their five on five unit more success than uh, like 19 other power plays in the NHL. So teams that have a five on four advantage are not shooting as successfully as Austin Matthews and his line mates. And Austin Matthews himself on the power play specifically, uh, doing pretty well shooting wise. He's got a 30% shooting percentage on the power play versus 20%. This is all okay. I'm not, I'm going to talk about Marner for a second, uh, but I just, before I do, before anybody's freaking out, like, oh, Brian, get over it. Like, just let it be. I will acknowledge <laughs> 
easily uh, that elite players can find this extra gear and run extra hot. But we at least want to see exactly how sustainable what they're doing is. That's the Matthews angle. Um, Marner at five on five, he's shooting 23%. He's scored seven times on 30 shots and his career shooting percentage at five on five has been more like 10%. So, you know, that's a difference of like four goals. If you regress him to his usual five on five shooting percentage, his on ice shooting percentage is even higher than Matthews's. It's up above 17%, which ranks ahead of the Tampa Bay power play. So again, that's pretty impressive and not something we expect to hold all season long. Uh, but to Marner's credit, He's got nine power play assists. Eight of them are primaries. Just one of them are secondaries. So again, are both Matthews and Marner awesome? Yes, you got to leave room for elite players to do amazing things, even if they look unsustainable. Am I telling you to say to sell high? Absolutely not. Am I suggesting the point paces for Matthews and Marner uh, seem likely to fall if even just a little rest of season? Yes, that's what I'm suggesting to you. Is there anything you should do about it if you have them on your roster? I don't think so. Aside from just don't get too complacent and keep make sure you're still keeping the rest of your roster in tip-top shape and don't just feel... It's easy to be lulled into this. It's happened to me before that, okay, the guys at the top of my roster are crushing it. I can be a little more patient or lax about the bottom of my roster. Uh, no, you should make sure top to bottom that your team is as competitive as it can be week All in, week right. out. Even they if listen, they listen to keeping Carlson, Brian. They're, okay. they're taking care of their All roster. Right. <laughs> so on to Joe Thornton now. Um, who, yeah, is on this great run riding along with Matthews and Marner. And that's not even totally fair to Joe Thornton because he's still a really great setup man at his age and stage of this career. Uh, just recall that while he's really hot now, he was with both Matthews and Marner at the start of the season for five games before getting injured. And I remember at the start of the season, he was one of the, the first free agent ads to just go through the roof in, like, in rising rostering rates. Um, but then he had just a single point over five games. Not much seems to have changed for Thornton since then, aside from his line mates catching fire as they have. I, I know, like, you want to hope for a 65, 70-point pace from Joe Thornton, which seems rich to me, but I think he's at least still rosterable while he's putting up points. He's on a four-game assist streak. I'd be curious to see how far he can take that. He's got 37 games left this season, so Thornton would need 30 assists in 37 games. And yeah, I'm only counting assists because maybe he'll get, like, two goals, uh, but 30 assists for Thornton in 37 games would take him to a 60 seven point pace which seems doable right but keep in mind while he's doing that it's also a pretty tenuous guy to hold if uh, if you're in a cats league where he's not contributing anything else at all he's like a nicholas backstrom type if this situation really does take off and that he's not going to take a lot of shots he's not going to fill any categories except the assist column and hopefully that power play assist column too so just keep in mind thornton is a, a great ad he's more than a third wheel right now i believe his contributions go beyond what we'd normally call those of a third wheel but if and when Matthews and Marner see their on-ice shooting percentage come down to earth, we're going to see Joe Thornton's production uh, dip at the same time. Yeah, that's fair. And like right now, though, Matthews and Marner, you know, are point pacing for like 150, whatever, some kind of crazy pace. So I was just kind of thinking, like, even if they're just at around 100 point pace, I think it would be almost hard for Thornton if he's if he sticks. Obviously, this is a big if, right? But if he sticks with them both at even strength and on the power play and is on the ice for all of their points, which are getting them up to 100 point pace, you'd think, how could he not at least get in on like 70% of them? Anyways, I don't know. That's the way I see it. But either way, it doesn't really matter. We're not, we're nitpicking because we're saying go and grab Joe Thornton if you Yeah, they're all can. great. Nobody worry about like, 
Like, I just ha- I had to say something about sure. these guys. And you said all the good stuff. So I had to throw out a little bad stuff out there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go get Thornton and Matthews and Minor Owners. Don't worry. Be happy. Perfect. Yeah, well, especially in the North Division, the goaltending hasn't been that good up there. Even Jacob Markstrom is starting to show kinks in his armor. So, yeah, I think that Toronto's going to keep on scoring, and it's going to be all good news for them. Uh, so if you can't get Thorne, you can't get Matthews, you can't get Marner, but you're like, oh, I want to get in on some of this Leafs fun. I'm going to give you a couple deeper cuts that maybe you can go after. How about Alex Kerfoot, who's been lining up with Tavares and Elander? At least on Saturday, he scored a goal in that game, which extended his point streak to four games. Uh, he has seven points in his last seven. A really great spot for Kerfoot. Hyman was injured, and he came back on Saturday, went to the third line so again like who knows like the lines can shake up again but for now i'd be really into alex kerfoot who's on a hot streak and on a great line and then if you want to go like even deeper and you want to get in on some of those power play points a guy named travis boyd has been playing on that top power play with matthews marner thornton and morgan riley for the last couple of games and he scored a power play goal yesterday so i mean i'm definitely not gonna even ask you if he's worth a like a long-term hold like i don't even know how long this is gonna last but if you need a power play points you, you know you want the guy playing with matthews marner morgan riley and joe Thornton and that right now is Travis Boyd yeah for sure think of Boyd with his great power play when deployment kind of like an Alex Chieson kind of roster where you're not going to expect anything at five on five but he's playing with such good power players that uh, if you're in a deep enough league and you're just fishing for a power play point uh, adding Boyd to your roster might be a good idea Alex Kerfoot to me I I had the choice in my cupful division to add Kerfoot or Boyd going into next week and I actually chose Alex Kerfoot uh, because he's playing third wheel with Nilan and Tavares right now and he's played third wheel before in Colorado before this stint in Toronto with some success Kerfoot has points in seven of his last 10 games and yeah he's in a great spot to find points also not unlike Joe Thornton though who uh, doesn't do a whole lot if not picking up a point and of course Tavares and Elander aren't quite as hot as Matthews and Marner right now so Obviously, if I had to rank them, I'd go Thornton, Kerfoot, Boyd, Elon. There's no debate there, right? Yeah, I agree with you. Thornton, Kerfoot, Boyd would be my order as well. It's really funny. I have Tavares on my Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League team, and it almost feels like he's like a disappointment this year just because I see all these Toronto goals and he rarely gets in on them, but he's still on like a 70, 75 point pace. Like he's having a good season. It's just compared to Matthews and Marner. I was like, oh, Tavares, he's fine. But on any other team, he'd be like a superstar. Uh, so speaking of superstars, let's next go to Edmonton and talk about Connor McDavid, who absolutely destroyed Jacob Markstrom and the Flames on Saturday. He scored a hat trick along with two assists in the 7-1 shellacking. That brings McDavid to 37 points in 20 games on this season. Like I said, he himself is running away with that Art Ross race. Dreisaitl had only two assists. Paltry, right? And that leaves him at 30 points. He's quickly falling out of the race, uh, barring, obviously, a McDavid injury. Of course, I think this is going to be McDavid's year to finally take home that trophy once again. Uh, Anyone who got cute and drafted someone ahead of McDavid in their fantasy drafts, uh, you know, if they had first overall, like the people who drafted McKinnon or whatever, they're probably kicking themselves a bit right now. Not that McKinnon and, like, Austin Matthews or whoever you would have taken, like, they're doing just great like McKinnon had a big night uh, on Saturday as well but um, McDavid just wow like what a season he's having he's on pace to have 100 points this year Brian like in the 50 whatever games like he might still break 100 points which is wild um, of course with McDavid popping off I'm sure Jesse Pugliarvi managers weren't too happy to see him put up a goose egg in that game on Saturday Edmonton scored seven goals McDavid got five points and Pugliarvi nothing in and only 11 minutes and 50 seconds of ice time uh, though he was plus 
plus two. So clearly he was on the ice. I guess he just didn't happen to get lucky and touch the puck before McDavid took care of business. Uh, and he did have three straight games with points before Saturday's game. So, Brian, I think I'm going to do a little bit of a mea culpa here. I'm going to say I think I was wrong to doubt Yessi a couple weeks ago on the show where I was like, ah, this probably won't last. He's not doing that much on the top line. I think this top line stint, it's looking like it's going to stick, right? I, I, obviously, who knows? Maybe something will happen. Like next week, it'll change. But I don't know. The vibe I'm getting right now is that Pugliarvi is going to be sticking with McDavid and RNH all season. And yeah, at this point, I'm ready to say you want to grab him. Like, I think his point ceiling is definitely capped because he's not on the top power play. And even on the top line with McDavid, you probably are like looking at best 60 point pace guy. But that's that's a pretty decent at best, right? So even though he really disappointed people yesterday, I'd imagine you're not too concerned. No, I'm not concerned. I'm, I'm really happy that Pugliarvi continues to be on the top line with McDavid, who, as you said, Yolanda, I just want to get really specific about this. Connor McDavid is on pace for 104 points in 56 games. In a 56-game season. Do you know that that would mean if we were to play 82 games and he were to keep up this point pace, he would have 100 and 52 points. And I'm going to go here, Elon. Unlike Matthews and Marner, I actually think this is business as usual for him. I don't see any weird standout numbers amongst any of the, the usual percentages that I look at. If someone finds one, please send it to me because it doesn't quite compute. But here we are, Connor McDavid on a 152 point pace in an 82 game season. Unreal and apparently sustainably so. So yeah. I want the guy playing with him. Hey, if Pugliarvi just gets in on half his even strength points, that's like 50, 60 points right there, right? And of course, I think Pugliarvi has more to offer than your typical third wheel, like more than an Alex Kerfoot type. And I'm really heartened to see that Pugliarvi's time on ice is finally up and staying up. He's made it several games without being yanked from the top line. Looks like he's finally won a coach over. And with every added game that Pugliarvi gets on that top line, he's more entrenched. And the next step, dare I look ahead for Pugliarvi, is to become a regular on that top power play. He's had a couple looks there, but still has guys like Alex Chieson favored ahead of him, which could stay the case for now. But I'm not counting out the possibility that Pugliarvi does find himself on the top line and top power play before season's end. I mean, yeah, it's possible, though another guy that I would have thought would have been ahead of Pugliarvi for that role would have been Kylo Yamamoto, who is like, now I'm going to say what I said two weeks ago about Pugliarvi, about Yamamoto. Maybe I could provide an anti-jinx for the Yamamoto managers, but this guy's done nothing lately. He was actually ice cold going into yesterday's game, only one point in his last six. Then yesterday, I actually don't know what the situation is. He looks like he was not on the bench in the third period. I haven't seen any injury updates, maybe in the chat. Like someone let us know if they've heard anything. So hopefully he's fine. Uh, I guess regardless, like if and when he's healthy, how much longer of a leash would you give him if you had him on any of your fantasy teams, Brian? Like, I'm thinking he might be a snoozer at this point. Like, yeah, he's playing with dry settle. You'd assume that should be good enough to be worth holding. And last year, he was amazing. He started this year hot. But like, you know, we were into Dominic Cahoon earlier this year because he was playing with dry settle. And even though he's been on that line most of the way, everyone's given up on him. Yamamoto's just as cold. So at what point do we just have to give up on Yamamoto as well as someone that we can rely on in fantasy this year? The point at which we give up on Yamamoto is... If it's not here, it's very nearly here. Looking back at last season, we knew that Yamamoto, Nugent Hopkins, Dryside Align, uh, and their production was too good to be true, even if they did stick together. But of course, now Yamamoto, as you mentioned, is with Dryside and Cahoon now, which honestly still looks fine in a vacuum. 
uh, as does a lot of what Yamamoto's doing, but two things really stand out that don't look quite okay. Um, the first is that Yamamoto has lost two minutes a night at five on five this season. Uh, so that's going to hurt any opportunity to produce. The second, and this is a more positive, Yamamoto has not picked up a secondary assist this year. Uh, and of course, the secondary assist means you're not the person who passed the puck to the score, but you're the person who touched the puck last before the person who touched the puck uh, then moved the puck to the scorer. And I mean, I would assume that that is some piece of variance that we can expect to correct for Yamamoto if we're looking and trying to find a way that, yeah, we could add one or two points here and there to his total. That said, even if Yamamoto does deserve a couple more points, I don't think it's enough to make him a lock to beat, say, a 55-point pace this season. And remember, Yamamoto also does not shoot a lot. He's barely averaging a shot per game. And having lost those two minutes at 5-on-5 this year, I don't really see how the shots are going to keep coming any more often than that. And that hurts when the points aren't coming, too. And of course, as you also mentioned, Elon Yamamoto seeing no power play one time and seems to me like he's third in line to get some beyond Chason and now Pool Yarvi. So Yamamoto might be a snoozer if he's still on your roster. Yeah, uh, very concerning. And we'll see what happens with this like injury situation. Maybe he's heard this is like a good opportunity for people who were considering dropping him, just stash him in IR and stream in someone else. And then, you know, maybe Yamamoto can figure something out while he has some time off. But yeah, not looking great. Like, I don't know. Tell me if this sounds crazy. I might even be more into like an Alex Chason at this point. If I like needed to have an Euler on my team and I'm deciding between the two of them, like Chason, like you brought up, has been getting the top power play time. He scored a power play goal on Saturday. He's got four points in his last four games. Obviously, it's not sustainable. We've seen him have this role before and not produce too much. But I kind of think that I'd rather have the bottom six guy, but on top power play than the guy with dry saddle on line two, but not on the top power play on the Oilers, regardless of talent level. I know that, like, you've always kind of been into Alex Chase on actually. That's not true. Not true. <laughs> yeah, you've always considered, I don't know, you like, I mean, you like the guys playing on the top power play, especially with McDavid. And for that reason, he's often been worth a stream. Do you know, by the way, like we have a lot of history with Alex Chason. He was one of the first players we ever talked about on Keeping Carlson. Back in our first episode, he featured back in 2013 when Chason had scored six goals on 13 shots with Dallas to begin his career. That was at the tail end of the 2012-13 season. Uh, I wasn't into him then, Elon, and I, I can't say I'm much more into him now. Uh, now he has three goals on his last seven shots, so, you know, plus a change. Keep in mind that Chason has been on the top power play a lot for the last couple of years and has put up a respectable 15 power play point pace in each of them. Uh, but that's all he's got to offer, right? Like even with that top power play deployment, he's been so unhelpful in the bigger picture. So you could chase those power play points if your league is deep enough. But this year, Shason has no chance at the top line, even less five on five time with worse line mates. That destroys a lot of whatever value remained from Shason, who essentially was a 40 point player, even with that top power play deployment. Um, so if you're trying to get me to choose between Shason and Yamamoto, I think I would probably say, well, first I'd say they're both streams. That's my answer. I expect Yamamoto's five on five production is going to outstrip Shirelli's power play production if you're making a year long decision. But if you're making a two or three game decision, yeah, I'll go Shason for top power play deployment. 
At some point you said Shirelli there, but I think you meant Shea Song. <laughs> In my notes, I did just write Chia. So uh, so my, my brain defaulted straight to ch- the other Chia who's been in Edmonton and underwhelmed me. Okay, fair enough. By the way, I definitely wasn't trying to make an argument that Shea Song is good. It was more a point that Yamamoto isn't someone I'm that interested in rostering. And yeah, I agree with you. I think they might both be streamers and you want to look at who else is out there and available for you. Uh, okay, so I guess let's talk about the guy that McDavid uh, destroyed <laughs> uh, on Saturday. And that's Jacob Markstrom who I ironically jinxed. Uh, we had a patron cast on Wednesday where I we were talking about goalies. So there was a question about, I forget what it was exactly, but we were ranking some goalies. And I said, I think Markstrom might be the top goalie in fantasy this year. And he'd been in the North Division. I was like, even in the North Division, this guy is like unbeatable. He's putting up great numbers. And then I even also uh, separately on that show that we did on Wednesday, which was really fun, by the way. And you could still listen to that. If you're a patron, it's already posted on our Patreon or you could sign up and get it. Uh, I also smugly talked about how I don't believe in jinx, which makes it all the more ironic that right after the show finished recording on Wednesday. Then there was a Canucks game versus Calgary, and Markstrom led in five goals in that game, got pulled for David Riddick, and then again on Saturday he led in five goals before getting pulled again. So it's been a bad couple games for Markstrom. Brian, is there anything to be worried about here if you have Markstrom on your team, or is this just like you know part of the fantasy season? You're going to have a goalie that has a couple bad games, and the randomness could make those two games happen to be in a row. Or is there actually something that we should be starting to get concerned about that maybe Markstrom was just running too hot before and this is evening him out to what he really is? Because I think, yeah, on one hand, you could say, uh, time to be a little concerned. Or you could do the opposite and be like, try to find the person who has Markstrom on their team that's concerned. And now's the great time. And now's the great time to try to get him for cheap. I think that is where I lean that second thing that you said about maybe you can get Markstrom for cheap. Like this sort of thing that happens from time to time, usually not in such an extreme way. And I know Markstrom managers, especially maybe like the week was decided or destroyed by that blow up that Markstrom had on Saturday night. I get it. I get the the desire to assess and overreact, but I still think Markstrom is probably as good today as he was before that happened. I know there's been like a few underwhelming performances lately, but all in all, I still like Markstrom. He's put up uh, some good performances. He gets mid-pack protection from the team in front of him in Calgary, and he still can be relied upon, I think, to outplay that protection too. So I still like Markstrom, and it's a could be a very good time to kick tires and see if you can buy low. I'd be more inclined to buy low on Markstrom than rush to sell him, thinking his value is like about to continue cratering and soon he'll be worth peanuts. Yeah, I guess uh, one thing you could consider is that, yeah, he doesn't have to play Edmonton again for a little while, but he's got games versus Toronto on Monday and Wednesday. So this uh, rough stretch, Mike, I'd, I'd imagine Riddick will get at least one of those games. Uh, so maybe let him potentially get blown up by the Leafs and then try to get him before a uh, two-game series against the Ottawa Senators, where I'm sure he'll put up sparkling numbers. So that's the plan if you're trying to go after Jacob Markstrom, I think. Uh, by the way, on Calgary, Sean Monaghan has missed the last couple of games with a lower body injury, but he was a game-time decision on Saturday, so likely he'll be back soon. So I don't think we need to dig too much into the injury impact here. I will mention, though, in the meantime, it was Andrew Manchapani who jumped onto the top power play, and he scored the only goal the Flames got past Koskinen on Saturday. So I don't know. If it turns out that Monaghan is not going to play on Monday and you want to stream someone in, Manchapani might be a guy to look at. Also on Calgary, there was a lot of drama last week with Yusuf Valamaki temporarily bumping Rasmus Anderson from the top power play for a couple of games. Uh, a lot of people were saying, okay, now's finally the time to dump Rasmus Anderson. And Brian, I have to admit, uh, my 
myself included, uh, not necessarily because I was so much more down on Anderson because the coach had said that Anderson will likely get that power play one spot back. But I just, you know, I needed to make some room in my roster for other reasons. I wanted to add Tristan Jari, who we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, but anyways, Anderson got the job back for Friday and Saturday's games. And while he didn't get any power play points in those games, he had probably his two best games of the season, which is kind of crazy to say, considering Calgary got blown up so badly on Saturday. But Rasmus Anderson had his highest time on ice in these games, and he had five shots on goal in each of these games. So if people like myself dropped Rasmus Anderson, now could be a great time to go and grab a power play one defenseman who is all of a sudden shooting out of nowhere. So take a look and see if he's available in free agency. Yeah, I'm not totally sold on either Valamaki or Anderson being a fantastic hold. There's no one great to hold on that Calgary blue line right now. But of course, you can go ahead and and take a guess on someone like Anderson first and then Valamaki. But I don't have a ton to say about either one until they make a legit case for themselves. Is there potential between both these options in Calgary? Absolutely. Are we seeing any of it show in a consistent way? No, not really. But as, as you mentioned, Elon, I, I will uh, definitely acknowledge that Anderson has five shots in each of his last two games after a string of zero and one shot games. And Anderson, the line uh, that I've got on him so far this season is steady, but boring. Like, he's not going to turn very many categories or pick up a lot of points for you, but at least he's kind of there night in, night out. And then Valamaki is exciting with more upside, but limited in the opportunity he gets. So uh, like, if you're asking me to pick between them, I'll take the guy who's on the top power play. Uh, But I would just like to see more. I'd like to see something offensive from either one that's sustained. Uh, Personally, as a Mark Giordano uh, guy who has him on his roster, I think it's just put, put him back on the top power play till one of the other two figures it out. But I know that's only wishful thinking and only selfish of me. Yeah, uh, I don't think that's going to happen, Brian. Also, I don't know. I didn't ask you about uh, Anderson versus Valimaki. This point, I think it's obvious. If Anderson's back on the top power play and Valimaki didn't do anything there. You know, he's a guy that we were into going into this season. Uh, Victor was saying that he was a potential uh, sneaky Calder candidate. Maybe in the future, this will be Valimaki's job. It does seem the fact that he got that job already for at least a short stint might be a sign of good things to come. But yeah, uh, exactly. And and I know that might be reason to get excited. And I I think my point is, let's just wait till we see more. By the way, I just want to mention before you move on from Calgary, Manjapani. Uh, great, great call to bring him up. He's always one of the more streamable flames. Only two points in his first nine games, but Manjapani's now up to seven points in his last nine games, courtesy of five goals on 13 shots. But his 20% five-on-five shooting percentage on the year is actually pretty reasonable on the whole and in line with his career numbers. Manjapani's like an Alex Chieson, but with better deployment and also actually better at hockey, I think. And Manjapani's also seen a, a nice rise in deployment this season, another three and a half minutes in all situations of time on ice per night. And I'll also mention, like, uh, who did I mention? Yamamoto. Manjapani is also hurting for secondary assists. He has none so far this season. So I think Manjapani is probably like a 50 plus point guy running hot right now, but getting that bump in deployment, I would definitely want him on my roster for a stream if he compares favorably to the current bottom of my roster, which I, I think there's a decent chance he does in deep enough leagues. 
Yeah, and obviously watch and see what Monaghan's status is, because that's a big bump for Majapani while Monaghan is out. Uh, Brian, how many people are you going to compare to Alex Chason in this episode? You've already said Travis Boyd, now you're saying Majapani. We'll keep a running tally of how many players are like Alex Chason. There's definitely a running theme through my notes for this episode about secondary assists, primary assists, and third wheels. And uh, yeah, those guys take a lot of those boxes. All right, so we'll see. Well, this guy, I don't think you're going to be comparing to Alex Chason, but if anyone can find a way, it'll be you. But I want to talk about Tristan Jari, the person who I dropped Rasmus Anderson to add. And Jari is a guy who came into the season with a decent amount of hype, right? He came, he was coming off a 921 save percentage season in 2019-20, and he was the guy who was going to be the starting goalie on a presumably good team in the Pittsburgh Penguins with Matt Murray out of the picture. But the season just did not start well at all for Jari. He had those two brutal games against Philly right at the start of the year. Then he started to seed the net to Casey DeSmith for stretches through to mid-February. But then, okay, February 14th, Jari gets a start versus the Washington Capitals, and he stopped 28 of 31 in a 6-3 win. Not too noticeable. It's not like an amazing game, letting in three goals on 31 shots, but Pittsburgh won. So they decided, let's put Jari in again. So we got the next game against the Capitals where he was even better. He stopped 39 of 42 shots in a 3-1 loss. So Jari got the next start versus the Islanders this past Thursday. He put up a gem. 31 saves on 32 shots, earned himself a fourth start in a row on Saturday where he once again stymied the Islanders, stopping 33 of 35 in the 3-2 win. So it seems like all of a sudden, this guy, Tristan Jari, who we were saying, oh, this guy might be a bit of a bust this year and look at Casey DeSmith, he's all of a sudden put up four good starts in a row and who knows how much longer the Penguins are going to run with him. They're finally turning it around as a team themselves. So now Jari's kind of looking like the guy that you were hoping for when you drafted him, right? Like a goalie that's putting up decent numbers. Seems like a potential volume starter considering he's played four in a row. He's on a good team. So if he was dropped in free agency, I can't imagine how people could not want to give him another shot right now. Now, uh, I grabbed him in the couple. Like I said, I'm very happy to have him. I'm sure that since goalies are impossible to predict, next week he's going to totally blow me up against Lewis, who's the person who drafted and dropped Tristan Chari a couple weeks ago. But for now, I think he's our hot free agent of the week so far. And like anyone who's listening to this should pause the podcast, check free agency. And if Tristan Chari is there, figure out a way to get him in your lineup. Do you agree? Yeah, Jari could really be a season-long hold at this moment, which I like. I really stress at this moment because we thought the same uh, at the moment that the NHL season started. But Jari had that awful beginning. But now, if I'm just looking at Jari's last um, four games, he looks good. We're just looking for consistency from Tristan Jari, which is not something he's ever really displayed in spades. He's had some fantastic runs and also been mired in some pretty low lows too. I have hope that Jari can still be an above average NHL goalie and I don't know how exactly to tease apart his uh, shaky start from the shaky start that came from most of the team in front of him like Pittsburgh has also been inconsistent too so maybe both team and goalie are starting to begin to find their groove together that's a narrative I'm trying to weave here to explain why Tristan Jari is suddenly looking good again because uh, I can't really find any other reason to explain uh, why the upside we saw at the start of the season has returned Uh, and while we're getting excited about that remember that the downside uh, I think remains lower than it was at the start of the season like I I was legit concerned that he had lost any shot at being the straight out number one this season just based on how poorly he started then of course Casey DeSmith did not take advantage of the opportunity he was given. Um, So yeah, this is all reason to go ahead and take a shot of Tristan Jari. If you need a goalie and Jari is out there, he's a number one goalie on a team with Crosby and Malkin, and you can't discount at all what that can amount to. 
Yeah, and he's putting up good numbers right now. And, like, when you say he has a lower floor, like, who doesn't at this point? Jacob Markstrom just let him, like, five goals in two straight games when he looked like one of the top goalies to own. So, at this point, uh, I grab Jari, and, yeah, you have to obviously keep in mind that he could blow you up. But, honestly, like, uh, Andre Vasilevsky let in five goals against, what was it, uh, Florida? Or some team just blew up Tampa Bay. Like, I don't know, the goalies are weird. And that's why fantasy is so fun slash extremely frustrating sometimes. Uh, but, yeah, Brian, you mentioned some guys on Pittsburgh that I'm happy to see starting to get going. Right, Malkin, Gensel, Latang. All got on the score sheet on Saturday. Hopefully, they're all in the process of getting their seasons back on track. It was actually two goals for Latang on Saturday versus the Islanders. And the third goal by the Penguins was from another defenseman. It was all defensemen scoring that game. And it was Mike Matheson who scored that other goal for the Pens. And he's on a nice run right now. He has three points in his last four games. If you recall a couple shows ago, Chris Latang was hurt. We didn't know how long he'd be out for. And you and I were speculating about, like, is it Pierre Olivier Joseph or John Marino who will capitalize? But now I'm starting to wonder. If it happens again where Latang gets hurt, maybe Matheson is the second most offensively gifted defenseman on the team or the one that would be most capable of taking advantage this year if he got a run. And even if he doesn't get an opportunity with Latang hurt, like hopefully just Latang is healthy right now, Matheson is producing. So I got to ask you, is this recent search for Matheson at all sustainable or is this just like a random thing where in a week or two we'll completely have forgotten that he was ever doing anything? You can ask me, but you can also listen to uh, our friend Dave Benton's Stream Scheme podcast. He was one of Dave's featured streamers this week. I, for anyone who's not familiar, you can find a link over at keepingcarlson.com. Uh, Dave releases this amazing uh, show weekly where you can figure out if you're new to streaming or how to game your schedule and find the best player options on off nights. Dave's podcast stream scheme is the absolute way you need to go. So again, keepingcarlson.com. Dave, uh, by the way, he's also really great because he's very accountable. At the start of each episode, he says how well he did in the previous week. Last week, Dave went six for 10 on his streamers. And this season in four tries, he has, uh, he's gone three and one in getting over 50% of his streamers, uh, solid return, like having a good success rate. Anyway, go listen. Uh, my take on Matheson to add to what Dave shared on Stream Scheme is, uh, yeah, that Matheson is somebody who was on our radars preseason is maybe the next best option to run the power play after Latang, but not the most likely one to get a turn. And we liked him preseason because his shot rates have been good throughout his career, but we forgot about Matheson last season when he saw his five-on-five ice time slashed by two and a half minutes, and he was being played more like a third-pairing defenseman rather than like a top-four, even top-pairing defenseman that he'd been earlier in his career. So the good news is that Mike Matheson has gotten that deployment back, plus another chunk. Now he's seeing nearly 19 minutes a night at five-on-five, and Matheson leads the Pittsburgh Blue Line in five-on-five ice time. And that's a nice opportunity for Matheson to fire a bunch of pucks on net. Three shots in four of his last six games. But of course, I'll add that I don't think Matheson is good for a whole lot more than that. Still makes him probably the second most rosterable Pittsburgh defenseman behind Chris Letang. But unfortunately, that's not saying a whole lot. Uh, If you are in a league where it was worth rostering Pierre-Olivier Joseph, yeah, maybe you look at making the switch. But I think ideally, uh, you don't really need to rely on either of these guys. Yeah, that's interesting for Pittsburgh that they're in this situation with some other secondary defenseman who could maybe do something. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see how this plays out over the next couple of weeks and see if Matheson can keep this going somewhat because there were some um, tr- Matheson truthers. I remember Dauber was a big one in the offseason saying that they, he thought that Matheson could have some upside on the Penguins now that he's out of Florida. So we'll wait and see. Uh, speaking of players who are getting their seasons on track, you know, I brought up Gensel and Latang and Malkin, but I got to also bring up Kevin Fiala, who I don't want to keep on talking about Kevin Fiala, right? Like, 
we brought him up yes, last week. Yes, you do. No, I, I promise I don't. Like, we said last week Minnesota's coming back. If Fiala's a free agent, obviously go grab him. But, like, he came back, and he picked up right where he left off before getting suspended at the end of January. A goal and five shots on Thursday, and then two goals and one assist, and five shots on Saturday, both versus the Ducks. And like I'm saying, I shouldn't have to say this, but Fiala is still only 54% rostered on Yahoo. We had a question on our Discord server just like on Saturday or Friday of someone being like, can I drop Fiala already? It's like, no, stop it. People in these 46% of Yahoo leagues where Fiala is a free agent, like, what are you doing? Like, Brian, you know how much I love Alex Debrinkit this year, right? Like, I've talked about him a lot. Like, I love Fiala just as much. And like, trust me, get him on your team ASAP. This is crazy. He's got six goals in his last seven games. Seems to me we're looking at a guy with 40 plus goal upside the next time he plays a full season. Am I right? Like, I don't even want you to spend a lot of time on Fiala. Just, just go and yell at the people who haven't added him and he's still in free agency. You know, I'm glad you brought up Kevin Fiala because he actually reminds me a bit of Alex Chiesa. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Kevin Fiala is way better. And the amazing thing about Fiala is it looks like he's doing it all himself. Fiala has been on the ice for eight goals this season. He's scored six of them himself and assisted on one of the others. So uh, if if no one else is making things happen, nothing's happening for the Wild while Kevin Fiala is on the ice. And that's reason to give him all the more credit. Fiala has also registered five or more shots in six of a 11 games played and I think Fiala actually has more to give because as I mentioned nobody else is doing anything while he's on the ice again his line mates have combined for just two goals all season so far is this maybe because Fiala shoots so much and he's the one who's supposed to take shots and score score yeah maybe but his line mates are also scoring on five and a half percent of their shots at five on five and that's something that's bound to turn around so somebody please get that regression up in your shooting percentage and help Kevin out here and even with uh, whatever else isn't happening while Fiala's on the ice that Fiala can't control himself he like this point you made about a 40 goal pace next in, in an 82 game season. Absolutely. That seems so reasonable. And there's no reason that I can see to think that what Fiala is doing in terms of goal scoring cannot keep up. He's the best. All right. So forget about him. I'm not going to bring him up again for the following weeks. If he's still a free agent in your league, like two weeks from now, and then you're mad, like, why didn't you tell me to pick up Kevin Fiala? I've done my best. Okay. Now it's on you. Uh, so last week we checked in on a bunch of Minnesota guys who we were saying, you know, cause again, they hadn't played for a while. So like a lot of these guys might be in free agency. We brought up guys like Joel Erickson Eck and Jordan Greenway, who both played with Fiala on Saturday, by the way, and had points. So you're welcome if you listen to us and added those guys. Uh, one player though that we failed to bring up is Matt Zuccarello, who made his season debut on Tuesday, returning from that arm injury. And Zook is having a decent start to the season he picked up a goal and an assist on saturday bringing him to three points in his three games so far he was playing on i guess it's line two with kaprizov and victor rask uh, which by the way bumped zach parise to the bottom six and so i remember in that episode last week we were like ranking parise with erickson Eck and greenway at this point like parise i'd say way at the bottom and i want to ask you should people be considering adding Matt Zuccarello? Like, I know last year, he was like a total bust, right? He signed with the Wild and then put up only 37 points in 65 games. But before that, he was he was a guy who was putting up really consistent points in fantasy for years, right? He had 40 points in 48 games in 2018-19, which is a 68-point pace. And he was a pretty consistent 60-point guy on the Rangers since like 2013-14 when he broke out for the first time. So, Brian, is there any chance this is for real and the 33-year-old Matt Zuccarello can bring back his Rangers? magic or at the very least 
I will you at least agree that he's worth grabbing over Zach Parisi at this point? Please don't be mad at me. I know I'm the patron cast. You got mad at me when I said bad things about Zach Parisi. I won't do it again as long as we don't ever have to talk about him. The only thing you love more than extolling the virtues of Kevin Fiala is pointing out when Zach Parisi sucks. And you're absolutely right to do both of them right now. Parisi, oh boy, I, like I, you know me. I'm a diehard Parisi manager. And I am one of those people who swapped him out for Matt Zuccarello. I'm not gaining any games played even with the move. I'm just changing my Minnesota Wild player from Parisi to Zuccarello, who I'm hoping can be someone who can help Fiala out. By the way, can I just rant uh, for a second here about these Minnesota Lions? They have a great off-night schedule this upcoming week. So I was looking closely at the roster and like, there's just something so frustrating about the lines they're running. There's not a single line to really sink our teeth into. You've got Zuccarello, uh, Kaprizov, and Victor Rask. Looks fine, but there's no big shooter amongst them. Then uh, I'm going to quote unquote second line, Fiala, Joel Erickson, Eck, and Jordan Greenway. Um, that's... That's okay. That's Fiala, though, and a couple other guys, although you know we mentioned Erickson Eck as someone we like a lot, but still no one exciting. And then the third line, Parisi, Marcus Foligno, and Ryan Hartman is Parisi with nobody. So it's just like you've got Caprizov, Fiala, and Parisi spread out across three lines with a bunch of guys around them, and maybe, just maybe, Zuccarello can be more than just a guy, right? And I, I picked him over Parisi because... Uh, Breezy's minutes are dropping. He's off the power play. Our patron projection project had Matt Zuccarello at 45 points going into the season. I can't say I disagree a ton at this point. I feel like he's probably uh, very streamy, as streamy as the rest of those Minnesota Wild players until he shows otherwise. He did have that big year in New York that you mentioned, Elon, but that was playing with Zibanejad and Kreider in what was like a, a nice little breakout year for Zibanejad. So I don't know that that can be recreated right now. Zuccarello's also got a, a couple more injuries behind him since then. I've always liked him as a steady 60-point player, but I think he might be past that point of his career. I would just be hoping for like 50-55 from him uh, playing alongside Kaprizov and Victor Rask. Yeah, Brian, I'm going to have to just like disagree with your rant. I think that the premise of your rant is they have three good players. Why are they spreading them between three lines? Like, Parisi, just forget about him. He's not one of their good <laughs> players. They have two good players. Okay. And they're being spread between the top two lines. And Joel Erickson, Eck, Greenway, and Fiala Wait, seems but that's like a really great a line. They have two great players and they're spreading them out across their two top lines. That, that's this... not much different than what's happening in Detroit. I mean, the difference is Minnesota is eight and six on the season. So I think they know what they're doing. So maybe this is the rantings of a fantasy manager that wants to find more value. Well, all I, yeah, I'm just saying, like, I wanted to, to make a choice of which wild player I wanted the most. I had my pick. I could have had uh, Zuccarello or Rask or Eric's neck or Green or Zach Parisi. And I just wanted the guy with the best deployment. And none of them. Like, they all, I mean, Parisi definitely had the worst deployment. But I just <laughs> wanted one guy to stand out. And no one did. Brian. Oh, poor guy. You got Zuccarello. I think you did a fine job. Thanks. We still got a lot to get to here. But Brian, before we move forward with all of our content, I believe we have a new sponsor that you're going to tell us about, right? Yeah, uh, we have a new sponsor, my bookie, who wants you to know that no matter the sport or season, you can always win now. We're talking nonstop action, 365 days a year, where you can choose from thousands of lines on the NHL, the NBA, and more. They truly have something for everyone at my bookie, and uh, no one does prop bets like my bookie. You can get action in on the winner of the All Valley Karate Tournament. 
uh, which might be a thing. You <laughs> you can go in and check in on that and bet on it. And of course, NCAA March Madness is right around the corner. So there might not be a better time to start building your bankroll. Do yourself a favor, get a head start, sign up today with the promo code Carlson, like Eric's last name, and get your first deposit matched halfway up to a thousand bucks. That's free cash credited to your account instantly on top of your deposit. The best part is you always have access to the action, whether you're at home or on the go. Visit the website online today at mybookie.ag and use our promo code Carlson to grab yourself a deposit bonus. Bet, try to win, and if you do, get paid at mybookie. And of course, we also encourage you to gamble responsibly. You can find information on responsible gambling at a fantastic website that's a Canadian resource, uh, but helpful for Americans too, responsiblegambling.org, where one of their tips is to set a loss limit and a win limit and stop when you reach those limits. Yeah, I know one bet I like to do every year, which is definitely just a small limit, but with a big potential for winning is I like to bet on a cup winner every year. I look at like the teams that maybe have longer odds. Like I'm looking on mybookie.ig right now. I'm seeing like the favorites are Colorado, Tampa, and Vegas. Yeah, you could bet on one of them and win like seven to one, which isn't that bad. I actually, Brian, think that Tampa Bay, don't you think that Tampa Bay is a team that even though they're at seven to one might be a really good bet to win the cup considering I think Nikita Kucherov might be back for the playoffs. So I don't know. Of the like low odds teams, I think I'd bet on on Tampa. I'm trying to decide who's like a good long shot team to win the cup. It would be pretty crazy to see like LA, right? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Do you have a pick of a long shot cup winner right now? I'm looking through the list and I, I see Carolina at plus 1200. How big of a long shot is that? I mean, that's like 12 to one. I think that seems fair. That seems like fair odds. I mean, though Carolina has been so good this year. We're going to get to them in a little bit. Anyways, I don't know. So uh, I'd be curious to know what the listeners think. So tweet us at Keith and Carlson. Check out the uh, odds to win the cup at mybookie.ag and let us know. And yeah, thanks for sponsoring the show and check them out. Help support Keith and Carlson. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Brian, we are back, and I'm very excited for part two of this episode where we run through, the basically like every episode, part one and part two. We don't really have parts on Keeping Carlson. We just try to cram in as much hockey content as we can, and I want to now go to the New Jersey Devils. We talked about how Matt Zuccarello returned from Minnesota. The New Jersey's had a couple players return recently in Nico Heeshear and Nikita Gusev, and so far, uh, Heeshear is someone who we've been waiting for for a really long time, and he's done absolutely nothing, right? In two games so far, he has no points today versus Washington he had a single shot I think it was also just a single shot on Friday so a little bit disappointing for Heesher I'm gonna go check out what the lines were today in the game versus Washington this is Sunday night by the way I prepped this on Saturday nights. that's why you know a little bit of research on the fly which is easy by the way using frozen tools but it looks like the Devils were running Heesher with Jesper Bratt and Pavel Zaka and then Gusev was with Mikhail Maltsev and Travis Zajac and then the top line was Kyle Palmieri Andreas Janssen and Jack Hughes and it was definitely that top line that did most of the producing because I see Janssen had a goal and assist, Hughes had a goal, uh, Palmieri had two assists. So Brian, at this point, 
Can I just ask you to rank some devils for me? I feel like all of these devils might be available in some leagues free agency. Like none of them are rostered in like anything close to 100% of leagues. And, you know, going into there, we probably would have said Nico Heischer is the devil that you want. And maybe Jack Hughes has usurped him. But now I'm starting to wonder, maybe do you also prefer Paul Mary? Maybe do you also prefer like Andre and Sionson? Uh, I'm curious to know, what's your current ranking of all of these somewhat fantasy relevant New Jersey devils? I'm going to keep this real cut and dry. Are you ready? I'm going to go Kyle Palmieri for the floor, Jack Hughes for the upside. Then I will go Nico Heischer because I believe in him. Then Nikita Gusev because I believe in him a little more now that Heischer is back. And there's two top six centers in New Jersey now that he can work with. And then I'll go Andreas Janssen, who, by the way, uh, you know, has been on a, a nice little run here. And we did, uh, we did mention him just at the outset of it before he was, uh, before he got on it. We mentioned that he's somebody you might want to check out as an ad. So hopefully you did and got in on the action that he's given you now three points in his last three games, a goal and two assists on five shots. And then I will go Jesper Bratt last. It's funny that you're, like, giving yourself this huge pat on the back for recommending Andreas Janssen, but then you're ranking him, like, way at the bottom of this list. <laughs> well, yeah, Even... it was, like, a deep a deep consideration. Do you do you think he belongs above any of the guys I mentioned? Yeah, I think he's definitely above Nikita Gusev, right? Because you said, oh, N- Nikita Gusev, uh, you know, I really like him now that he shares back because he gets to play with one of these top six centers. Well, again, looking at the lines from today, he was not with either of these people. Yeah. It was Gusev with Zajac and Maltsev, and then he shared with Brad and Zaka, and then he was with Janssen and Paul Mary. So for now, give me Andreas Janssen over Nikita Gusev. Like, Gusev, we know what he can do, and we've seen what he can do in the KHL. Well, I didn't see it, but I read about it. I saw the stats, and it looked pretty darn good. But so far on New Jersey, he's left a little bit to be desired, so I'm going to wait. It's kind of fun. This uh, Mikhail Maltsev guy. You Gusev. Do you forget how much you loved Gusev during his run last year? Well, I'm over him now. Now I'm into Kirill Kaprizov. Yeah. I have a okay. new KHL guy to cheer for. <laughs> yeah, you have a new, a new first-year uh khl like gusev had 17 points in 18 games over the course of like a month and a half last no i know like yeah it leaves leaves some to be desired but then he went on another run later in the year 11 points in his last 10 games so i i wouldn't just discount him sure but i have him on my watch list on like all of my leagues but until he gets on a line with one of these great centers like you were mentioning like i have no interest in a third line like power play two guy on the new jersey devils definitely give me andreas johnson who's on a hot streak and playing with jack hughes and kyle palmieri so to me that's an easy choice okay i hear that one name you didn't mention by the way uh who's fallen off the radar who we've mentioned a couple times on the show miles wood who is really nowhere to be found but another name you didn't mention, at least I didn't catch it. So forgive me if you did. Uh, Pavel Zakas, up to eight points in his last nine games. How about that? Did you know that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess he's the kind of guy that even when I see him on the score sheet, I all, it just like goes like in one ear out the other. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I just don't really. I have those guys too. I just like, kind of assume that it's not going to last, but please tell me if you think that's not the case this time. I mean, I, no, I don't see anything terribly exciting. Eight points now in 13 games for a 50-point pace, and that's probably still the best-case scenario. But keep in mind, he's still young. He is 23. We really liked him when he came into the league. We thought there might be some upside there. And then, well, he's a New Jersey devil, so the upside either takes a long time to appear or just doesn't. So uh, the jury's still out, but somebody worth a stream uh, ahead of Miles would. Sure. Okay. If your league is that deep, uh, maybe then you go with Mikhail Maltsev in that case. But okay, just kidding. Uh, we didn't even really talk about Heesher, by the way. Like I said, really disappointing return. Uh, do you like he just got named captain of the team? He, like he's coming back though from yeah, he had, like you... co- 
he had COVID and he had like some other injuries. So I just want to tell people, like you said in your ranking, like you had him third, I guess, because you said you still believe in him. So I just want to also repeat that. Like, I agree. Like, I'm not going to give up on Heesher after two bad games. But if he was in free agency in my league, I also wouldn't be rushing to add him. You know, like, I don't think anyone else, if he's still there, obviously no one is rushing to get him until he does something. So I'm going to wait until he starts producing, getting more than a shot or a point in any game and then get him then because maybe it's going to take him a little while to get up to speed. Yeah, exactly. Let he should get up to speed. We've seen some real sluggish returns from COVID and we've heard from players like Ristolainen was sharing like how climbing stairs was really hard. Like these guys are legit impacted when they've come back from COVID, even though they're in peak physical shape. uh, It's been really interesting to read the few tidbits that do make it to my eyes. Like I feel like it should be more of a story, of course, but when we do hear about a player talking about what it was like to have and recover from COVID, it sounds like it's a bit of a journey. So yeah, you might not want to rush out and nab Heesher if he's somehow stashed in your IR still. You might not want to rush to bring him off of it, but I, like, I, I'm hopeful. I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I haven't seen this, I haven't seen this movie play before, but I, all things normal, if Heesher can just get back to the same shape he was in uh, before, then I think he should be in line for a pretty successful season. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why we're all like quarantining at home right now, right? It's because COVID is pretty serious. And yeah, Zabanajad is obviously, or I'm hoping is still feeling, I'm not hoping he's feeling the effects of COVID, but I'm hoping like that that's the reason why he's fallen off and nothing worse. Than, you, you get what I'm saying, right? Hopefully these players will eventually recover and get back to where we expected them to be. Okay, so let's get back to some hot streaks now. I want to give some kudos. This is kind of like what I was saying before about Matthews and McDavid, but obviously on a completely lower level, but a player that there's not really much advice to give. But I still want to say like, this guy's doing great. And I don't think we even expect him to be this great and that's Logan Couture over on the San Jose Sharks his two goals on Saturday in the 5-4 win over the Blues brought him to 15 points in 16 games on the year almost a point per game pace for Logan Couture and like yeah he's been a star in the league for a while but has only broken the 70 point barrier once and that was somewhat recently 2018-19 and if I recall correctly Brian you correctly predicted that you thought that that season where he broke that 70 point uh, barrier was not sustainable and you thought he wouldn't be able to do it again and you were correct he only had 39 points in 52 games this past season for a 62 point pace but now Couture is pacing for his best season ever and has been like huge as a middle roster guy on my couple team like I got him for pretty cheap in my draft and he's like <laughs> easily overperforming guys like Zibanejad and Taylor Hall so Brian I'm at- curious to get your thoughts now on Couture as someone who's previously said that you didn't believe in him being like a 70 plus point guy do you, are you seeing something different in him this season to think that maybe what he's doing is somewhat sustainable and that he's going to set a new record for himself as a 31-year-old? Or do you think that this is the kind of thing where you're going to get your cold bucket of water out just like you did for Austin Matthews and tell me why there's no way he's going to keep this up? In your mind, you envision me with one really large bucket of water that, you know, I'm just like deciding how much to put on each player. Do I have several buckets next to me? I think you have one bucket and you have a tap. And then as I talk about each player, you're refilling the bucket and getting ready to pour it over me. I'm just like jubilantly, just like, oh yeah, turn on the tap. He's talking about Logan Couture. I will say the first really exciting thing about Logan Couture, and I'm exaggerating by saying really exciting, just because I don't want to be that guy every time. But you asked if there's anything we're seeing that's different about him to justify this like career high-ish point pace. And uh, yeah, I could say that Logan Couture uh, is currently shooting at a six-year high for his five-on-five shot rates, which isn't a huge step forward, but it's positive. And it's, it means he's averaging nearly three shots per game, which he has not done since 2014-15. But the thing that tells me that Logan Couture 
won't sustain his production that I got to fill up this bucket is that his production is based entirely on goal scoring, which has never been the case for Logan Couture's most productive seasons. And the goal scoring that Couture is putting forward is also not sustainable. Couture has eclipsed 30 goals just once in the last eight years. Right now, he's pacing for a career high 46 goals fueled by a 23% five-on-five shooting percentage. So that is not something that's going to keep up. Uh, Also, uh, one place that Couture could probably improve as well is he has no primary assists this year. So he's almost... I don't know if it's quite like a Kevin Fiala situation, but if Couture isn't scoring himself, few people are while he's on the ice. So I guess my question for Couture going forward is, because this is really exciting what we've seen, we've explained that it's coming from this unsustainable shooting percentage, but when the goals stop coming from Logan Couture, what happens then? Because no one else is scoring around him. And honestly, I don't know. The Sharks are a bit of a riddle this year in that they're not awful offensively. They're like a mid-pack team. But only three players on the Sharks roster are above a half a point per game right now. And there are precious few options in the depth chart beyond uh, Couture, Hurdle, and Evander Kane from which we might expect offense. So going forward... I think I'm just going to play it super safe on Couture and say, I think we'll see a return to the 60 point Logan Couture that we've all come to know and expect for several years now. Um, But to do that, to do even that, Logan Couture's line mates are going to need to do some more scoring on passes they receive from him. I, I guess that'll come. I can't think of why it wouldn't, but I also don't see a lot of reason to believe it will. And that's why I say the Sharks the sharks are a riddle, which is why I'm just going to go with their usual paces until I see anything to indicate otherwise. Well, I mean, we have seen something. I don't know, Brian, I kind of don't get this logic because you're saying on one hand, he's scoring on too many of his shots. That's unsustainable. So that's probably going to change. But then you're also saying he's got no primary assists. And that's probably going to stay exactly the same. I don't see that changing. No, I'm, like, not, I'm not saying that's, uh, that can't stay the same. I'm just wondering when and who. Well, right now he's scoring on all these shots. So why should he pass to someone else to shoot when he's hot and scoring on 28% of his shots or whatever right. you're saying? Eventually, if he doesn't get hot anymore, he could pass to Evander Kane, who's a pretty good goal scorer, right? So I don't but see... But also a low percentage converter. Okay, well, so he'll have to shoot a lot. Like, I'm just saying. That, <laughs> Which like, he does. I, yeah, like, I don't think that you can put this together. Like, I think that if one thing is unsustainable and the other thing is also unsustainable, I don't know. I, which I is feel, why, yeah. which is why I'm saying I still think it's all going to wash out. And I'm saying it doesn't like the, the pieces of the puzzle don't fit here. I don't I don't understand. Like, I guess you're saying because Couture is shooting and succeeding all the time. That's why there's no assist needed to get to where he's gotten. But he's not going to keep scoring this way. Uh, and he's due to get more primary assists. So I like I think those will both wash out and I don't think they're going to wash out to be anything greater than he's done before. Well, okay. Like the way you're saying it though, if he's going to wash out quote unquote to a 60 point pace when right now he's on a 77 point pace, that's not going to wash out. You're basically saying these points are going to dry up completely moving forward and he's going to become a completely different player for the rest of the season as co- according to fantasy value. Well, I'm going to say that he's going to return to the player he's been for several years instead of the player he's been for what, 15 games? Yeah. All right. So let's uh, wait and see. I'm excited about Couture. And I think that while you see the glass is half empty with the fact that he has no primary assist, I see it as half full that, oh, he's probably in line for some no, more I'm primary assists. I'm not saying that's, I, that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> 
Yeah, so good. So if he, he's going to have fewer shots, or he's going to have fewer goals, but he'll add more assists, and in the end, he'll stay the same as what he's been doing so far, which is a yeah, nice... Yeah, that's not what I'm pace. saying. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we'll wait and see. I mean, I don't think he's going to keep up this pace, but I don't know if he's going to fall all the way to 60. I thought maybe you'd say, like, maybe he'll go down to, like, a 70-point pace, but you're expecting, like, a really big fall from what you're predicting. I just don't see any reason. Like, I, I don't see any change substantial enough in any of the numbers that would usually indicate to me that he's on pace for better point production i like I, I don't see any reason to think anything's changed from the last like his whole career i guess so i mean i've seen like all these points so far but obviously <laughs> you're looking at something else so that's fair i don't want to disagree with you and actually another argument in your favor for thinking that couture can keep up this point pace is there's so many players on the sharks who are not putting up points though again you could look at this in both ways right like does this mean that like, yeah it's gonna be hard for him to keep producing with a bunch of non-producers or are all of these players i'm about to bring up to you are they all going to start doing better which is going to help couture like we've already been lamenting eric carlson's poor play for the sharks this season i don't even want to bring him up again he might play on monday that's the latest update on eric carlson so any questions about if you should drop eric carlson like how about leave him in your ir or whatever and see how he does for a couple of games don't rush to bring him in your roster but yeah we've been spending so much time being sad about eric carlson doing nothing is we haven't given some attention to the other sharks doing nothing including brent burns and timo meyer both of whom went pointless in the five goal game yesterday like patrick marlowe and line two rudolph's balsers they each scored a goal but burns and meyer nothing okay so burns is now pointless in five games he's sitting at seven points in 16 games on the season for a 36 point pace this is like mark giordano last year right like we thought that he'd be pretty decent and he did absolutely nothing and burns is following that same path then you have timo meyer he has just a single goal and assist in his last nine games and has the same actual number of points as Brent Burns on the season. Seven points in 16 games, again, for a 36-point pace. Brian, is there any reason for hope with Burns or Meyer at this point? Like, they're both shooters, which I like. They're still both taking shots, but at some point, if you're not getting points, you're not helping my fantasy team, and I've got to look elsewhere. And I know these are high-end names, but yeah, I'm curious to know if it's time for people to consider dropping them, especially in those shallower leagues. Similar riddle here, Elon, about exactly what to expect from these guys. San Jose really confuses me because they they don't look awful in their numbers, but also there's nobody really stepping up and looking good. And Burns in particular looks uh, a little worse than he usually has. So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll start with him. Uh, he, I traded for him a couple weeks ago, as you might recall. I traded uh, him. It was a package deal, but Burns... Uh, to me, I thought would be an upgrade over Shea Weber. Neither one has scored the po- uh, scored a single point since the deal went down. So <laughs> the jury's still out, I guess, on whether I really did upgrade. But Brent Burns, I think part of the, the dryness of his offense is that he's shooting less than ever at five on five, which is a bummer. Even though we've seen him in steady decline for a few years now, I think the drop from last year to this year for Burns' shot rates is a bigger decline than I'd hope to see, even taking it into account that it's Burns' age 35 season, but there is reason to hope uh, Brent Burns does have a low points participation rate on the power play, and he still seems involved in it. So I still think he probably could get a couple more points by way of the man advantage. So I like, no, I'm not hoping for a return to vintage Brent Burns, but I am hoping for, I don't know, 50, 55 points. Again, I'm just going to go back to what these guys did last year because I can't really make a whole lot of sense of why anything different should happen this season. Although Timo Meyer is somebody who I can say that something different is going to happen this season and it looks bad. Unfortunately, Timo Meyer is actually firing away and notching shots on goal at a career high rate. 
but is down 90 seconds a night at five on five from each of his last two years. So he's seen a hit to his deployment that hurts. And again, why is this happening? Who else needs to play in San Jose to take 90 seconds of ice time at five right. on five? Uh, I knew it. I knew you'd what? say this. You're always blaming. The, it's like, Meyer's great. Why are they being so dumb? I'll tell you. Okay, so like there's Rudolph's Balsers and Patrick Marlowe scored a goal yesterday. Like I said, like you always like to oh, yeah. blame the coach. I, I on, forgot like, about Balsers and Marlowe. <laughs> well, I'm just saying like, you always like to blame the coach whenever the player you like isn't getting deployment. It might just be that Timo Meyer's not doing well. Okay, so first off, I didn't blame the coach. I just said it's a thing team so why wouldn't a guy who is shooting like a madman he's been like and you and you're just saying maybe he's not being very good Meyer is being very good he's firing shots at a crazy rate and he's putting shots on net what coach doesn't like that like I guess you could argue maybe they're bad from they're from bad locations but that's not what I'm seeing well maybe he's not playing well defensively and that's why he's not like San Jose has been letting in quite a few goals this season I don't know if you've noticed uh, I've definitely noticed <laughs> um, uh, Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik are their goalies. I, why? Why are we so contentious over the Sharks here? I, I'm just I will... being a Nick. I'm just having fun. Sorry. Like I agree with you. Like I don't know. Probably if Meyer gets more ice time, he'll do better. But well, uh, here's is the it thing. Happen? Even if Meyer doesn't get more ice time, he should be doing better than he is. He's got some unreasonably low shooting percentages, like five percent on the season so far versus his usual ten percent, and his points participation is low, thirty three percent of the time he's in on a goal that's scored while he's on the ice versus the usual 75% over the last couple years. So if Meyer had the same minutes as last season, I feel like he could definitely just get back to that 55, 60 point base he was at once the bounces go his way again. But without those same minutes, I think you probably just want to downgrade Meyer to being like a 50, 55 point player. Um, and that's where I sit with him. I'd love for him to get those 90 seconds back, though. It's really irking me. Like, we waited so long for Timo Meyer to get that legit, those legit top six minutes and to see him lose them for, again, I, you're right. Maybe the coach has a reason. I'm not seeing it, but I'm not coaching the team. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this team is a disaster, and I'm getting close to the point where I'm going to start recommending for people to drop Timo Meyer, depending on what free agents they're throwing at me. Like, you know, there's all these guys that we've kind of just been talking about, being like, yeah, this guy's a great stream. At some point, you have to start being like Brock McGinn on Carolina, or Nick Ritchie over on Boston, who keep getting points every single game. Ritchie has another assist today on the Pasternak goal. Like, at some point, you have to start just, like, making these really crazy-sounding uh, swaps, right? And get the player who's actually producing for the player who's not doing anything i don't know if i'm not saying i'm like exactly there yet but i don't know if i had Meyer on my team and i had guys like that in free agency it would be really hard for me to not pull the trigger there totally and i am known uh, personally as having this weakness where i see a guy who should be doing good and just out of stubbornness i'll be like no he should be doing good so i'm gonna hold on to him i think i'm past that like if i had timo meyer i would swap him out for brock mcginn even though i think he can do better i think that ceiling has lowered substantially because of that poor deployment if you are by the way looking to add a san jose shark and you're in a bankers league Mario Ferraro, I'm just going to toss that name out there. Uh, he's seen 26 and a half in 27 minutes in his last two games. Seems to be getting leaned on more and more. And two games ago, had seven hits and two blocks against St. Louis. He also seems to sometimes put two or three shots on net too. So if you want a couple shots and a bunch of hits and a couple blocks, Mario Ferraro as a deep defenseman is not a bad option. 
Yeah, pretty good. I mean, Carlson might be back at some point soon, and then probably the ice time for Mario Ferraro will go down, but it's not as if Carlson was doing that well, so maybe the coaching staff will be like, you know what? Let's keep playing Ferraro. They did win that game against St. Louis on Saturday, so that's something. All right, so we were talking about Brent Burns, who's been a very disappointing defenseman this year. Let's check in on another one that we brought up a little earlier on in the season. Roman Yosi still disappointing us, right? He went pointless on Saturday in Nashville's 4-2 win over Columbus. That's now three straight pointless games for Yozy, who now sits at eight points in 17 games on the season for only a slightly better point pace than Burns. It's a 39-point pace. What's going on with these guys, Brian? Okay, so we've gotten a ton of questions on Discord asking what people should do with Roman Yozy. You know, I remember there was a really fun segment on short shifts a few weeks back, the panic meter. So where's your, where should we be placing the panic meter on Roman Yozy? Is it like a 10 out of 10? You should probably be dropping him or one out of 10. He's going to be just as good as he was last year. It all depends on expectation. I don't think either of those statements are true. I think Roman Yosi is just going to go back to not the Roman Yosi of 1920, but of the the Roman Yosi that we've seen pretty much from like 2014 through to 2019. Because uh, I think there's enough good still happening in Yosi's game. The thing he's missing to not be that 77 point pace player is, and we mentioned this several times on the show, uh, Yosi was getting this unsustainable power play production on a power play that was really bad. And I, I didn't claim to understand why it was happening, but he had these unsustainable power play numbers that just didn't seem to make total sense. And we're the first time we were seeing this from him. We thought, okay, maybe the only way the Nashville power play works is through Roman Yosi. Well, that cursed power play uh, now just doesn't work through anyone once more. So that's a shame. And that's why Roman Yosi isn't getting, I wouldn't say above a 70 point pace. In fact, the Roman Yosi I, I mentioned, the 2014 to 19 version is generally like a 55, 60 point guy um, with nice, decent peripherals. And I, I think he can still be that. So far, Roman Yossi has yet to score at 5-on-5, five five, which is hurting him a little bit in his numbers. And also at 5-on-5, five five, his teammates are scoring on fewer than 5% of their shots. And I am worried about Nashville as a whole. Like, there seems to be uh, whiffs of a teardown brewing in Nashville with these Matisse-Ekholm trade rumors. And again, that power play just cannot be fixed. It's like the team has to move so that power play can be good again. I don't know after having it identified as a problem for three consecutive seasons and bringing specialists and talking it to death. It's just like a, a very strange thing to not be able to get going. If I were a Roman Yosi manager right now, I would just take a deep breath and say, I'm going to readjust my expectations. He's not going to get me 70 or more points this season. I'm hoping for mid fifties and maybe he can get to 60 and I'm just holding tight. I'm honestly, I'm more worried about the sharks guys that you mentioned, like Brent Burns and Timo Meyer than I am about Roman Yosi. I mean, on one hand, you could say that, like, yeah, just, like, adjust your expectations and say, okay, now expect just, like, 50 or 60 points and not 70-plus. I mean, or you could find someone in your league who is still expecting 70-plus and try to ship them oh, for a If I like said that, that you, would, you would have it with me. Come on. I mean, I don't know. Sorry, Brian. Like, I kind of still before I asked you this, was thinking maybe you'll say that he could go back to what he did last year. Like, he was just so amazing. He won the Norris. He was, like, such a great fantasy asset. He got drafted as the first defenseman in all leagues, so I would have thought maybe some people might still think he can do it, and maybe it's just been bad luck. But you're saying you're, you think it's very unlikely that anyone is still going to pay a premium to get Roman Yosi, thinking he's going to bounce back. Yeah, if you can find an Elon in your league who still believes Roman Yosi is a 70-plus point player, especially, especially on this iteration of the Nashville Predators... Uh, then yeah, by all means, see what you can get back in return. 
Thomas just asked in the chat if mom and dad are fighting. Uh, yeah, Brian, I, I just want you to know, I think you're doing a great job and I'm really enjoying this show and I hope that you're feeling the same. It's just fun to be a little contentious, right? Uh, but okay, let's go on to the next player on the list. Another player that's disappointing us that, okay, and after this, I promise we'll turn to good news, maybe end the show on a high note. But another guy who I got to just ask, should people just drop him already? Because I don't think it's working out. That's Anthony Mantha. And like, he just recently got on a line with Larkin. Uh, we were thinking, I saw Brian, you tweeted like, okay, this is probably good news, right? Like, finally, this is what we've been waiting for. Why was Blashill not playing the two best players together? They used to be so good together. So fine. Mantha got back on the line with Larkin yesterday. Played on the top power play. Everything's back to normal, right? Except everything stayed exactly the same. Mantha did nothing. One shot in his 19 minutes and 17 seconds of ice time. Uh, No points, obviously. Mantha's now pointless in four games. He only has nine points in 19 games on the season. At this point, Brian, like, Detroit is just so bad. Like, why are we holding on to this guy? We have him in our Fantasy Hockey Trades League, where we're co-managing. There's guys like Brock Nelson or Kerfoot in free agency. At some point, like, should we just make the swap and get rid of Mantha? Or do you still think there's a chance that he can produce Detroit, just again, to emphasize how bad they are, they really stink. Like, they can't score. They have 39 goals in 20 games this season. That's less than two goals a game. Dylan Larkin only has 11 points in 20 games himself. I should probably be asking you about him. But uh, let's stick with Mantha for now. Maybe Larkin could go next week. But uh, I just wonder if we're getting to a point where we're just going to say drop all wings. Like, no Detroit Red Wing is worth rostering in fantasy this year. Speaking of cursed power plays, yeah, Detroit is another team who just can't figure it out. And they seem to have a coach, as as evidenced in Jeff Blaschel's quotes, I guess it's a couple weeks ago now, who appears to be out of ideas to fix it. It's just like, well, it's on the players to convert. And also doesn't even seem committed to using Mantha as power Part of that fix for that top power play, which is wild, considering that Anthony Mantha paced for nearly 20 power play points last season, which uh, looks to me like someone you'd want on your top power play unit, but I guess not so much to Jeff Blaschel, who Elon, I'm sure, has all kinds of legitimate reasons to not want Anthony Mantha on his top power play. Uh, you're asking what to do with him? I'm not going to say keep him. I think you can probably let him go. Uh, you can downgrade Mantha's expectations to being a 55-point player? I would hope, like, even that's a question mark, and make decisions accordingly. It's going to be a really tough season in Detroit, as you said. I'm not sure any Red Wing is worth rostering. If Anthony Mantha were dropped in Mike a couple division, I would not jump for him. I would just leave him, which is crazy. Like, I would have taken a chance on him two weeks ago, three weeks ago for sure, but I've just seen him, like, look legitimately not good for legitimately long enough. It's not just bad variance. This is a bad season for Anthony Mantha. Yeah, and all the wings. So maybe this is an anti-jinx. Maybe now he's going to turn it around after we said to drop him, then everyone will be mad at us, but... I'll be okay with that because I like seeing Anthony Mantha succeed and and Zosie. But for now, yeah, you could drop him and then obviously keep him on your watch list and get ready to add him if Detroit starts actually scoring goals once in a while. Yeah, for sure. I'd I'd have him close by to be able to add. Would you? So you would also leave him in free agency if he appeared there? Yeah, like I'm asking you right now. Like I'll have to look at the schedule and see if this actually benefits us. But if it turns out that we could get the same number of games from Brock Nelson or Alex Kerfoot over Anthony Mantha. Are you good for us to drop Mantha in that league? I, I promise I won't do it without yes. like, you like looking into it more, but it seems like you're saying yes, right? I would happily take a streamer ahead of Anthony Mantha right now who's doing worse than a lot of streamers. 
Yeah, he's terrible. Okay. Sorry. And sorry also to everyone, because I said that we're going to start going into good news now. But nope, I've got more bad news. More terrible players that aren't doing anything close to what we were expecting. And uh, okay, a couple more. But I got to go to Anaheim now, because I just said that maybe it's not worth rostering anyone in Detroit. I think the same might be the case in Anaheim. Anaheim's actually doing worse than Detroit in terms of goal scoring. They only have 34 goals in 18 games. So also less than two goals per game. Brian, I just dropped Ricard Raquel in the couple I had traded for him earlier on in the year I thought I got a decent return like I didn't think he was going to be amazing but I thought he could do something he had a three-game assist streak uh, last week but he's now pointless in his last two and it's like it's just so sad to roster Ricard Raquel or any duck because it means you have to watch these ducks games if you want to see your players and they're just depressing like they can't score a goal this team so Brian do you have any objections to us giving permission to the remaining Raquel managers which is 22% of managers on Yahoo have Raquel but there's like 95% of people in the cupful in the 23 keeping Carlson ultimate Patriot fantasy league divisions 95% of them have Raquel on a team right he's 95% rostered in couple that's what I'm saying I think that we can give permission for all of them to cut bait. Maybe I'm just asking for absolution because I cut bait in tier one. But you know what? I dropped him a couple days ago and no one added him. So I'm not sure what you're waiting for if you have him on your team. Like, obviously, there's upside, but I just don't think there's upside on this team. Which, again, I'm disappointed. I think this guy could be a superstar on another team in the league. But I don't think he's going to have a good year. Raquel, like Mantha, has disappointed anyone who drafted him and anyone who wanted to hold on to him to give him chance after chance after chance. But unlike Mantha, I think Raquel actually does just look snake-bitten, but he's snake-bitten again, like for the third consecutive season. This is actually giving me uh, flashbacks to Jeff Skinner in Carolina. It's like, everything looks good, and we've seen him do well in this exact circumstance before, or something like it, why can't he do well now? And you look at Raquel's numbers, and you see that nothing evident has changed in his own game from the seasons where Raquel put up paces around 60 and 70 points, but of course, the people in team around him have changed, and now Raquel is on year three of looking as good under the hood as he did putting up 60 or 70 points, but seeing his shooting percentage having been cut in half since that time. Right now, Raquel shooting percentage for this season at five on five sits at two and a half percent which is dismal like that's worse than a defenseman could be expected to shoot and Raquel I had gotten used to the idea that he could be a 15 percent shooter which is like six or seven times as more as successful as he has been so far this season and you know Raquel's shot volume and power play deployment looks so nice on the power play but he has zero goals to show for it with the man advantage no goals on 12 power play shots for Raquel and only one goal on 54 total shots in this NHL season. I don't think that's going to sustain. Unlike Mantha, Raquel is someone I would give a two or three game tryout to if he did appear in free agency in my league and see if Raquel can get get off the schneid while he's on my roster and then just move on if he doesn't. I, I guess I'm just saying that there's more hope here for Raquel than there is for Mantha, but it is frustrating and you wonder how much of that he can actually escape being in the situation he's in in Anaheim. Yeah, and actually, Thomas is bringing up a reason for hope here in the chat, because news came out today that Trevor Zegras is being called up finally for the Ducks, so maybe he can center Raquel. Zegras obviously had the great World Junior Championships. He has nine points in eight games in the AHL with San Diego this season. So right now, Raquel has been playing with Max Comtois and Isaac Lundestrom, so I feel like he could... I don't know how good Trevor Zegras will be, right? He's obviously going to be a great player long-term, but if anything, maybe the news here is people are going to be overreacting about Trevor Zegras coming, because he's coming to the same Ducks team that could barely score 
score two goals a game or not even. So, you know, you could look at it as like, okay, Zgrass is coming. He's going to be the savior. Or you could think, yeah, now just like good luck Zgrass trying to do something on this team that Raquel can't do anything on. Uh, and Brian, I'll bring up one more Anaheim player, which is going to be to Shane's chagrin here in the chat. Shane is like, why are we talking about Detroit and San Jose and Anaheim? And then he uh, said he's puking in his mouth a little bit. So I'm sorry, we'll move on after this. But I want to bring up another player that's going to make you a little bit sad. And that's John Gibson, who had a fantastic start to the season, but has really fallen off with three straight sub 900 save percentage games versus the Sharks and the Wild. We've had some questions in our Discord, like Gibson versus guys like Jari or Lankinen. And I think Gibson, like Raquel, could be like a real all-star in the league. I don't think this is a hot take. I think Gibson could be like a top goalie in the league if he was on another team. But it just seems like on the Ducks, he's not going to be able to sustain like great numbers all season long. We've seen this story before. I remember a couple of years ago, he was looking like a Vesna candidate like a quarter of the way into the season. And then he just couldn't hang on to these numbers because I don't know, I guess everything just imploded on him. And it's looking like it's maybe happening this year. Or you could tell me, yeah, it's just a cold stretch. If you could get Gibson for cheap right now, then go for it. So what's your current take on John Gibson? Because he's the... You know, with Detroit, I was like happy to say drop all your Red Wings, potentially, depending how, how deep the league is. With Anaheim, obviously the response would be, well, except John Gibson, right? But like, is that the case in a league where people have Jari and Lankinen still in free agency? John Gibson is pulling a reverse Tristan Jari, right? Like in one month, we've seen the best and worst of Gibson, but Gibson started hot and has now gone cold. And one reason you might look to explain that is saying, well, Anaheim sucks on defense, right? They have like the 25th uh, best goal suppression, which means they have the sixth worst goal suppression. And, uh, that, but that's not something that's ever really bothered John Gibson. It's actually been a boon to anyone who rosters him in fantasy because it means a lot of saves and he can weather that workload pretty well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know what to tell you, Elon. I, I guess if you have Gibson on your roster, you just need to be on the lookout. If things don't correct for him soon and goalies are somewhat disposable in your format, it might be time to pull the shoot in this shortened season on Gibson. If goalies are indisposable, I mean, you obviously just hold and hope that the fact that Gibson over the whole season, you know, not just looking at the past few games, but the whole body of work he's put in this season is still doing better than an average goalie would have done in his situation. So there is your, your ray of sunshine, but as somebody who has Gibson and Lankinen on my couple team, I think I would drop Gibson before I would drop Lankinen. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely closer to dropping Gibson than I am Lankinen. I'm, I'm assessing him very closely this week to see if he's long for my roster. I don't know if I'd make the swap for Jari. That's a, that's a closer one. Of course, if I just want to go based on recency, if Jari's available, then you can probably safely drop Gibson, give Jari a tryout and go back to Gibson if you need to. I guess that's my easy answer. Yeah, I mean, that's easy. But I think Gibson has enough of a name value that probably someone will grab him if he gets dropped, even if Jari hadn't been added. Uh, But I don't know, like, especially if your league values wins, then I think Jari is much better than Gibson, because I don't have much faith in this Anaheim team, even with Trevor Zegras coming into the picture. So okay, don't worry, Shane, we're done talking about these three bad teams. And we're going to jump to another team that's actually struggling. Uh, One more cold streak. And I promise, like I said, we're going to end with some rays of sunshine here. But let's go to Columbus. Uh, where it's a really rough goalie situation here, which is not something we thought we'd be saying going into the season. Right? This is supposed to be a team with like the best goalie situation. Maybe you grab both goalies and have the tandem because they're both going to be so good. But like, nope. Like, Eunice Corposalo, actually, he started the year looking good. He was like Gibson, right? He looked great through five games, but has since put up multiple five and six goals against clunkers. He's down to an 889 save percentage on the season in his 13 games. So it 
made sense to assume that this meant the door was open for Elvis Merz Lickens to step in and take over, especially after his 32 safe shutout of the Preds on Thursday. Uh, he got the next start versus the Preds on Saturday, and Merz Lickens did not do very well. He let in four goals on 39 shots in the 4-2 loss, and to make matters worse, he's now injured like he's day-to-day he apparently suffered an arm injury on saturday uh matt duchene was like he made a save on matt duchene and then his arm was pinned under his body and it twisted so i don't even know that sounds kind of bad matisse kivlenix has been called up i'm sure i got this pronunciation wrong but anyways now we get to a situation where I'll bet you Corpusalo has been dropped in a lot of leagues because people thought, okay, it's probably Merzlikens that's going to take over. But now Merzlikens is injured. So it's like, on one hand, is it like, do you just grab Corpusalo because he's a starter now on a team and he's shown us that he could be great in the past? Or do you leave him in free agency because, you know, the Jackets are struggling so much defensively? Like, the thing is, I think this happened last year, right? Remember, like, it looked like Merz Lickens had taken over, but then he got injured. And then all of a sudden, Corpusalo like, had an amazing, amazing run. So maybe that could happen. But this year definitely does not seem to be the same as last year so far for Columbus. It's not. The team defense in Columbus is doing worse this year than they were last year. Over the last three years, Columbus has been one of the stingiest teams in the NHL. Top 10 in the last three seasons in team defense, and now in the bottom 10. So uh, that's a precipitous fall and not a situation that goalies are used to playing in. We talked last week about the upheaval and unsettled business on the Columbus roster five weeks into the season, now going on six. You know, there was a time uh, when they were sounder defensively, where you could grab whoever was playing net for Columbus and hope for good things to happen. But uh, now I would not count on a Columbus goalie until the dust settles. And that may be more a matter of if the dust settles rather than when. Uh, Corpusalo is someone who I was really surprised when he had a great season or great stretches last year. Merzlikens, to me, if I was going to take a chance on the Columbus goalie, uh, that feels like not much of a chance to go with Elvis Merzlikens, with uh, Eunice Corpusal is a bit more of a Hail Mary. Yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and recommend that people grab Corpusalo right now, which I know sounds weird considering huh. how bad he's been. It's very but... counter to everything I just said. Yeah, I just think that now that Elvis is gone. Like, I know this is like, there's, these goalies are impossible to predict, right? But I just yeah. think that now that you can get a volume guy who's been so good in the past, like, this year's weird and you've given lots of reasons not to expect it, but. But he hasn't been saying, so good. Like, he's had a couple good runs, yes, but going into last year, he didn't look with his body of work that he could be an NHL starter. Well, I just want to, you know, feel free to. It's a chance you can take. Okay, so who would you prefer for the next week? Corpusalo or Gibson? Uh, <laughs> Corpusalo. Wow. Okay. I wouldn't. For next week. Well, just because, well, it really depends on the categories, right? I just think that Anaheim's not going to win any games. And I think Columbus could win games if Corpusalo can do okay. And I know the defense hasn't been great, but uh, I would take Jari over Corpusalo for starting to well, rank me these too. Guys. We can definitely both agree on that. Something else we could probably both agree on in Columbus is that David Savard giving some, like, he's out right now. I don't know if he's day to day. I actually didn't see an update before the show started, but uh, his bangers value is off the charts. Three or more hits in seven of his last nine games and the blocks numbers are pretty much in line with the hits numbers and like somewhere between three and six hits and blocks a night uh it doesn't do anything on the score sheet like not many shots and no points but if those hits and blocks can help you could be a good a, a good guy to put on your roster yeah, I mean, assuming he's healthy and you need these peripherals, David Savard, what do you know? Okay, Brian, like I promised, some hot streaks to end the show. I guess we could do a little bit of a lightning round here. I want to start in Winnipeg. Neil Pionk is having a season. He has nine points in his last nine games. 
the crazy thing is like we were talking about him kind of like as a bust earlier on in the year just because he had lost his top power play role to Josh Morrissey and a lot of people were saying okay I guess Neil Pionk's not going to be able to do as well and the thing is he hasn't taken that top power play role back at least not for any long stretch but he's pacing to destroy last year's great pace he has 14 points in 17 games now for a 68 point pace he paced for 52 last season so Neil Pionk maybe he doesn't even need the power play to be a amazing offensive defenseman and and you know in the worst case it looks like it's a 50 50 thing on winnipeg it's not as if he's getting no power play time you know we talked about roman yosi who's struggling this year we haven't talked about him but in previous episodes we talked about rasmus dalin who's struggling he has only five points in 14 games this year just out of curiosity would uh, would you be at a point where you would take neil pionk over yosi and or dalin or is or am i getting crazy here I think you're getting crazy here, but we do have to tip our hats to Neil Pionk, who is having a great season despite, yeah, looking like he was in danger of losing fantasy relevance when he lost that top power play spot. Um, one way that Pionk has continued to produce is by having a high points participation. It's up at 60%. That's like mm, just below average for a forward, way higher than it should be for a defenseman, uh, and about 20 to 30% higher than it would be for Neil Pionk based on his career history. And if you just make that adjustment and take out the extra points participation that we don't think is sustainable, take that out of Pionk's whole season numbers, he's still back down to the same pace he had last year, which would be pretty crazy good considering that Pionk only got to that 50 plus point pace last year thanks to 25 power play points so Pionk is another guy I'm feeling a little perplexed by this episode uh, he's doubled his five on five productivity rates I, I don't know exactly why I don't think saying north division is a full or good enough answer I think Pionk might just be legit more involved this season in his team's five on five offense than he was in the past he doesn't look so different from what he did last year at five on five but this really nice burst of production there also looks sustainable so count me in the middle of thinking that it'll last and it won't uh, but I would definitely I wouldn't take Pionk over Yozi or Darlene I think that's nuts especially because they're still quarterbacking their top power play units respectively but Pionk is still worth rostering even though he's lost well, his <laughs> big job yeah, he's worth rostering as a bit of an understatement at this point for a defenseman pacing for 70 points that had over 50 last year. I don't think anyone is uh, curious about that. Worth rostering long term, I think. I don't think this is just going to disappear. Like I, 70 point pace, no thanks, but 50 to 55 still somehow possible. And he would be one of the first to do that in a really long time without relying on those 20 top unit power play points. Yeah, so the thing is, uh, it's unfortunate that Winnipeg plays today and unfortunately, like we're recording this episode right before the game is going to start. It starts in like a half an hour from now. Uh, PLD is back. I wonder if things are going to get shaken up again with the power play. Like, keep an eye either way. But you're saying if you have Yozi or Dali and you're not trying to try to trade for Pionk. And if you have Pionk, you're saying you are. I don't know. It'd be really hard for me to try to trade for Dali right now in a one-year league if I have Pionk, who's been doing so well for me. But you're saying you'd have the cojones to I mean, you you have 70-point Yozi on your mind. So how could you not offer Neil Pionk for that? Did I say that? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I thought I was probably just playing devil's advocate. I'm pretty nervous about Roman. No, Yossi. you were. Um, what? I feel gaslit right now. <laughs> I have to go back and listen to what I said. You, to my surprise, and I asked you to take a moment and sit back and think about what you were saying in the moment was that you still thought like you were, you suggested that maybe sell high to someone who believed Yosi could still break 70. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I said that, I said that person doesn't exist. And you said you were that person. Oh, 
Well, I was saying that I could see myself being that person. Okay, I, I get what you're saying now. Yeah, like, I'm nervous about Roman Yosi. Like, the thing is, like, there's a difference between, like, what you could see happening and then, like, what's... I don't know. Like, I guess it's a, it gets philosophical, right? Like, Roman Yosi could be a 70-point guy because we've seen it before. But, like, if I'm playing this year, like, I'm... Especially if I'm on a team that's doing well, I have Neil Pionk. Am I really going to just mess that up and try to trade for a Dalin or Yosi who's been, like, struggling and, like, mess with a good thing? I guess you can, but yeah. I, that's that's what a smart manager would do, I think. I don't know. In a shortened season, I feel differently. Especially, like, the season's going to be over in, like, seven, eight weeks. We're already going to be in the fantasy playoffs in the cupful. So, like, I'm not waiting. You and know, like, you would I, rather have Neil Pionk in those playoffs than Roman Yosi? I don't know. Yosi, it's close. With Dalene, I think I would take... I think I might rank them right now for this year. Yosi, Pionk, Dalene. Uh, it's hard to predict. But Man, tr- yeah. Hard disagree. Brian thinks I'm an idiot. I would never say... I would never think that about you. Obviously, also, like, I'm sort of answering on the fly. I'm the question asker, right? You're the answerer. So everyone should obviously listen to everything Brian said. I wanted to go to Boston next uh, before I embarrass myself any further on this conversation. Uh, So Jake DeBrusque was on the top line with Marchand and Bergeron, but it looks like that's actually changed. So Boston's playing right now against Philly, and I'm looking at uh, Frozen Duels, and I see it's been Pasternak, Marchand, and Bergeron as the top line. So kind of forget that. I was going to ask you about Obviously. Obviously. (laughs) I'm not, like... We know better than to chase that, than to go down any path that suggests DeBrusque is rosterable or relevant. <laughs> I mean, if he's playing with Bergeron and Marshawn, then he's good for a stream. But at this point, that's already over. He did score a goal. So anyone who did stream him in because he was in that, you're like shaking your head at me. It's like he went, he got that roster spot. He scored a goal. Anyone who streamed him in for that game was very happy. But yeah, now you let go as soon as he's off that top line. But anyone on that top line is good, I think. Okay. Okay. I mean, uh, Jake DeBrusque has had all the opportunity. I'm not, we've, I feel like this has been a weekly conversation. I won't entertain it. Fair. Well, it's over now anyways. If Great. he was on the top exactly. line, I'd be into him. Okay. As a stream. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, on Boston, there's a new defenseman in the picture who's playing his first game today. I've just noticed uh, Urhu Vakanainen is playing on the top pairing with Charlie McAvoy and he has an assist today. So there's a deep cut. Neither of us know anything about him, uh, I assume, but... There's a guy in the league who just got a point. So I've thrown it out there. Uh, Let's go now to, where are we going here? Florida. Okay. Brian, here's a guy who you've always loved. You're going to be very excited about this. Alex Wenberg is doing stuff. He's got points in three straight games. He's like all season been centering this line of Jonathan Huberdeau and Patrick Hornfist. And we've like totally ignored him. Like we've talked about how good Huberdeau is. We've been like, oh, Patrick Hornfist in a great spot playing with Huberdeau and on the top power play. I don't even think we've mentioned Alex Wenberg's name, but he's in that spot centering two great players. And he, like I said, he's starting to produce. So is he on your radar at all with his recent point surge? Oh, yeah. Wenberg's definitely on my radar. And I think the reason why is that Jonathan Huberto is really good. Like, if you want Carter Verhage with Alex Barkov, getting Wenberg with Jonathan Huberto isn't that much different. Uh, I, like, I wonder if a good analogy here would be like, Wenberg is a Nisimov to Huberto's Patrick Kane. So there's that piece to be interested in Wenberg. The reason to not get overly excited about Wenberg is that he's got five goals in his last eight games, which, sorry, that is the reason to get excited, but they've come on 10 shots, which is a classic Alex Wenberg streak, which we haven't even seen for a while. So it's nice to see him do it again, the thing where he barely shoots and then scores a bunch anyway. Uh, But generally, this doesn't last. It's nice to see Wenberg get a second chance, and I like that he's playing with Huberdeau, and I think he's definitely worth a look in a deep enough league, but I'm not about to say that what he's doing is sustainable, and plus, obviously, no power play time that's relevant. 
Okay, fair. Yeah, I agree. I'm not super into Wemberg, even though he's doing well. But I thought he at least deserved a mention on the show. Also, I thought I was doing something nice by uh, mentioning Urhu Vakanine, and now I'm getting a little bit roasted here in the chat. Okay, he's apparently like a really good prospect on Boston. I actually have him on my Dynasty team with Matthew. I just realized uh, he was a first-round pick a couple years ago. And Patty says he's going to be very good. Shane says that he's defensively responsible. So there you go. Urhu Vakanainen. Okay, by the way, Boston all of a sudden exploding. It was like 3-2, like five minutes ago. Now it's 6-2 in the second period. So Carter Hart is not having a fun time over at Lake Tahoe. Uh, sorry. Uh, okay, Carolina, I wanted to go to another guy like Alex Wenberg, who we used to think was decent, but has really disappeared in the last couple of seasons. That's Jake Gardner, who's been getting in on like the Carolina Hurricanes have just been scoring a ton lately, and Jake Gardner has been getting in on it. He has four assists in his last four games. Is there any chance that the Jake Gardner, who used to be a 40-plus point guy on the Leafs, is back after taking hiatus and being a 30-point guy last season? Or do you think this is just a random aberration for Jake Gardner? I lean towards this being a random aberration, at least given his deployment. The difference between 40-point Toronto Jake Gardner and 30-point Carolina Jake Gardner is five minutes a night at five-on-five. In Toronto, he's on the top pairing seeing 18 and a half minutes a night. In Carolina, 13 and a half minutes a night on the bottom pairing, and they don't see particularly fond of him either. That seems like a miss in uh, in what they did to, to bring Jake Gardner into the fold, and he's never been particularly offensive either, so not a lot of ice time uh, and not a terribly offensive player means I'm not jumping on Gardner. Okay, fair enough. And I guess since we're on Carolina, we've been gushing about these guys like all season long. Like I'll just continue to repeat that Brock McGain and Nino Niederreiter are doing really well. They had big weeks once again. Nino's only 41% rostered on Yahoo. McGinn's only 17% rostered. So I'm not sure what people are waiting for from these guys. It seems like they're for real. Uh, Tavo Teravainen missed Saturday's game versus Tampa. Oh, Carolina was the team that blew up Vasilevsky on Saturday, of course. Okay, so Teravainen missed that game with an upper body injury. Didn't stop Nedeljkovic and the Canes from shutting out the Panthers for now. Nothing. Uh, so Svechnikov jumped back to the top line with Aho and McGinn with Tavo out, and Svechnikov had a goal and an assist. So I guess the real fantasy impact here would be, be that this is bad news for Fogel and Jordan Stahl if Tavo is out long term, because then Svechnikov doesn't get to play on their line anymore. Uh, but I don't know if there's much more to say about Carolina aside from what I just said that we haven't already said on the past couple of shows. Yep, I agree. Okay, and then I wanted to now go to LA, another team that has a player who's having an amazing season but still can't move the needle on his Yahoo percent roster no matter how well he does. I'm talking about Alex Ayafalo, who sits at 7% rostered even with his 7 points in his last 6 games and 62-point pace on the season. He's playing with Andre Kopitar in all situations, like top line and top power play, just like Joe Thornton with Matthews, right? And Andre Kopitar is having at least close to a Matthews or a Marner type season. He's having the best season of his career. I don't know if people have noticed. Kopitar has 21 points in 16 games now for a 108-point pace. So unless, Brian, you're going to tell me that you expect Kopitar to crash hard, I can't imagine how you can't want Ayafalo on your roster while he's running hot like this. Like, I'll just throw out an example. If I had Mantha and Ayafalo was in free agency, that's an easy swap for me. I would also make that swap. What a crazy thing to be saying. Although not that crazy. Like I follow has given us glimpses and this year he looks really legit. He also seems to have slid into the shooter spot on the power play, which has been really good for Ayafalo's shot rates and goal totals. He's got two and a half shots per game, 55, 60 point potential. Looks like Ayafalo's made that jump from being a streaming consideration to a season long hold. And yeah, I don't think Kopitar's about to crash. Uh, He's someone who has nine points at five on five with no secondary assists. Only Josh Anderson in Montreal has more points this season without a single secondary assist. 
and he has 10 points. So that's a, that's really something impressive to Kopitar's credit that he's either scoring or the first creator on every single goal that happens while he's on the ice. Yeah, especially considering he has an 108-point pace and is doing that without a secondary assist. He's, what a guy. What an amazing... I, I bought his uh, Young Guns card over the summer, and I was really excited about it. I thought it was underpriced. I think one day this guy's going to go to the Hall of Fame, and hopefully at some point people will appreciate how amazing Kopitar has been. In the meantime, you can't get him in your league, but you probably can get Alex Ayafalo, who, like I said, is rostered at only 7% of Yahoo leagues. 100% of couple leagues, but only 7% of Yahoo leagues. So I guess we know uh, who knows what they're doing. Brian, to end the show, I know you threw a couple deep cuts at me. One of them's on LA, and then one of them's on Dallas. Why don't you throw them at me and the listeners? Okay, yeah, deep cuts seem to be my thing with uh, Mario Ferraro and David Savard this episode. When you lead with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, you got to come up with some some guys at the other end of the spectrum. How about Gabe Velarde as a reasonable stream this week over in LA? Solid prospect, seeing his first sustained luck in good deployment, playing now with Kempe and Carter for the last few games on the second line in LA. Velarde's still not seeing a ton of ice, but he's on a three-game point streak, a goal, two assists, six shots, and he plays Monday, Wednesday. So that's one player you might want to look into streaming in for Anthony Mantha at the bottom of your lineup. And one other option is over in Dallas. Jason Robertson is playing with Rupe Hintz and Denis Gurianov at five on five. And he's on a four game point streak, two goals, three assists for five points and seven shots. Robertson also saw a career high 17 minutes in Dallas's last game, which was back on um, February 13th. So eight days ago, uh, shout out to uh, any listeners and all of our friends in Dallas who are working through all that's come with that winter storm. So uh, we'll be curious to see how Jason Robertson can do uh, if he continues getting over 17 minutes of ice with Hinton Gorianov at five on five in the Monday, Wednesday games this week. If he does, that could be a nice spot to be for a stream. He's only on the second power play. Uh, but yeah, this makes him a good, decent, deep league stream option. Yeah, and Dallas is going to, at some point, have to make up all of these games they've missed, right? So theoretically, if you could get a hit on Dallas, you could get a lot more games played than most other players, though I don't even know how they're going to fit all these games that they've missed back into the schedule. So that'll be something to... We'll see how that develops. Maybe Dallas just won't play all 56 games this year because at some point there's just not a way to fit them in unless you just put them all at the end of the schedule and just delay the season from ending a little bit. Brian, wow, this has been a marathon. We've covered so many players. We've had a journey. We've had fights. We've made up from our fights. And in the end, I think our friendship and our fantasy knowledge is stronger than ever. So thank you so much for going on this journey with me. And thank you also to the listeners for joining us on this great journey through the NHL. Uh, if you like the show, we'd love to hear from you. You. Brian, I don't know if, if uh, people know this, but like we pretty rarely get feedback on our episodes. Like usually, you know, we'll get tweets or people in our Discord responding to some of the suggestions that we gave. Like, oh, should I drop Mantha for this guy? Oh, should I grab Aya Follow and drop this guy? But like, we'd be curious to hear what you thought of the show overall. We're always interested in suggestions and critiques to try to make the show better for you, the listener. So tweet at us at Keeping Carlson or let us know in our Patreon Discord if you have any thoughts. If you really like the show, we obviously would appreciate a five-star review over on iTunes. That's a great way to support the show without doing anything. And then, of course, if you want to support the show and kind of like do something, put a little bit of money behind it, we'd love your support over on our Patreon. And we do our best to make your $5 a month really stretch and go a long way. We've got our Patreon Discord community, which is rocking all the time. Brian, myself, you know, Ben and Lewis, Dave, like all of the Keeping Carlson personalities are in there giving you advice. And all the brilliant patrons, like the people who've been in our chat room right here today, are there to help you with your advice questions. Uh, so that's Keeping Carlson com slash patron. We also do a monthly patron cast. You can check out all the info at that website. 
Brian, anything else that we should mention before we go and cue the outro music and get out of here? Yeah, sure. I just want to give a shout out, a couple stat attack preview, which is another podcast that we present uh, and is available for everyone. It's actually a podcast about the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. Does your fantasy league have its own podcast and website, by the way, kkupfl.com? Uh, no? Well, ours does, and it's amazing, and you should check it all out. And I just wanted to shout out the top big spenders this week across the cupful, including Jive Drobot of Tier 6 Bossy, who spent $19 on Oliver Ekman Larson as a free agent ad, and Ikan the Prophet of Pele Tier 6, who spent $18 on Ilya Samsonov. Hashtag blow your fab. Yeah, and if you don't know what fab is, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll explain it. Tweet at us and we'll explain to you what that is. It's a way to add free agents in your league. It's a really fun way to play. Man, Ilya Samsonov, I don't know. I guess, yeah, he's going to be back at some point soon. He's going to be a guy we're probably going to be bringing up on the next episode, or Ben and Lewis will bring up on Short Shifts, which have been coming out on every Wednesday and Friday morning. I hope you've been enjoying those. Man, we got a lot of stuff going on, Brian. Plus, we have our day jobs. But whatever. Anything for the listeners of Kevin Carlson. So I think now we can actually do this. Let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. Logo art from brandonweeb.com, outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with information from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cat Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo. Great job, as always, Brian. By the way, uh, Craig Anderson got the start for Washington today and got the win. You must have been excited about that as a Sens fan, right? To see Anderson get an NHL win after we thought he was out of the league. Very happy for him. Good for him. Okay, good for us. And good job, Brian, like I said. And looking forward to doing this all again with you next week. Until then, remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone.